I'm Audrey Hollenberg Duffy. And I'm her husband, Tim Hollenberg Duffy. We are a married couple doing pastoral ministry together under the faith umbrella of Anabaptism and Radical Pietism, more specifically in the Church of the Brethren, and most importantly, for Jesus. We've always enjoyed chats about faith life because we found in each other a companion that gets us, even when it doesn't feel like we fit in the boxes of American life or mainstream American Christianity. We believe the Church is crucial to faith and practice, and yet also accept that religious institutions are crumbling. We believe being disciples of Jesus Jesus rarely fits a pre-made container. So join us for our meanderings as we try to find a faithful Jesus way forward. Welcome to another episode of Coffee with the Pastors. We are continuing and finishing up our four-week series on Pastor Audrey's Doctor of Ministry Research on Story Sharing. So today she'll uh, kind of highlight uh, her particular intervention and how it played out at the Oakton Church of the Brethren. Before we go into all that fun, world-changing stuff, Audrey, I wonder where you've seen God recently. Kick this story, Sharon, off. <laughs> well, I, it seems simple, but that's okay. We have a garden, and we are getting tomatoes. And one of the tomatoes in particular is blowing me away by its color. I just, every time I look at it, it brings me such delight. <laughs> it's funny, too, because the kids come out in the morning, and that's one of the things they want to see what color it is today. It's been changing color in the window. <laughs> yeah, we, we had to pull some of the tomatoes off the plants because they were getting too big for the plants, but they right. hadn't turned yet. So we have them all lined up in the window. Yeah, Tim's holding the one that in particular that I just... It's pretty. I adore. That's a pretty tomato. Yeah. So sometimes color and... Natural beauty, Natural right? Natural beauty. I bet you it's going to be delicious on a BLT, too. Yeah. <laughs> I think about beauty, Tim's like, I'm going to eat it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That is the purpose. We are going to eat it. <laughs> what about you, Tim? Well, I was thinking about it's been just a busy, busy, busy season, and finding enough time to um, get everything done has been hard. But I was given a, a gift that was a bit of a holy blessing the other day during a meeting when I have a tendency during meetings just to kind of say I'll take care of that I'll take care of that and somebody said just looked at me and said I'm trying to save you something to do <laughs> it's like oh. Oh, thank you thank you I mean yeah God God can show up but just in the gift of one another sharing loads and yeah. I appreciate that particularly in the life of the church mm-hmm. so we're uh yeah, wrapping up this series on your on your doctoral research, I'll try one more time to kind of review mm-hmm. as fast as I can where we've been, so that this our listeners fun. can. It's fun keep for me up. to hear you tell me what I did. <laughs> oh man, I've been along for the ride. Yes, I've edited that's true. every part of this massive dissertation paper. Yes, um, that's right. I- except for the footnotes, I knew nothing about the footnotes. But <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah I, I gave Tim an honorary degree when I finished my public presentation of my work to say <laughs> he he definitely got the education through osmosis. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. But now you're learning how much I really took in as I review yeah, these things. Which is fun. So yes, tell here's me. what I understand. <laughs> Audrey identified a problem in society and in the church. This is our disconnection and kind of this social fabric being torn at. And this has played out because of uh, 
many reasons, but she identified a holy trinity of unholy trinity. an unholy trinity, <laughs> very unholy. Um, the unholy trinity causing, contributing to this uh, social fabric erosion being the pandemic, and it's pushing us towards isolation, social media, and its creation of a online community that can be harmful and dangerous and siloing. And then lastly, political polarization that's just pulling at and moving people further and further to uh, extreme positions. Mm -hmm. uh, and so these three things are most certainly playing themselves out in the life of our congregations too, which Audrey named as particularly problematic because for these things to pull at our Gemeinde, our Christian community, goes against exactly what we are supposed to be, mm -hmm. which are these called out ones to be the body of Christ and, and proclaiming the kingdom of Christ in, in and through this this community. So for, for fracturing and pulling apart and isolation to be a part of the body damages our, our very DNA and our very calling. Um, so um, as part of her research, Audrey needed to uh, develop a particular intervention that would prod our congregation, the Oakton Church of the Brethren, to see what effect it might have on this social fabric erosion and disconnection. And she chose story sharing mm -hmm. um, as a as a means and a, a mechanism to bring people together and help people understand each other, to develop common stories like we see in Scripture with the story of Jesus and the story of the Exodus, which in Scripture serve as common stories that pull people back mm -hmm. um, constantly to the presence of, of God in their life and in their community that holds them together. And we started dabbling a little bit with some of the stories from our contemporary life that do the same for congregations and groups of people pulling pulling them back together. Right. So there's this great potential that stories story sharing uh, can be a part of our reunion. Right. And it's not something that is entirely foreign. And no, so, it's yeah. part of who we are. Right. Yeah, the, the, the idea of a witness or a testimony or a scripture story being a part of our gathering together so that we know and understand the why and the purpose of our, of our gathering together. It's it's what a preacher does. We, we try. We <laughs> yeah. try real hard. Yeah, I mean it's it we tell various stories, but yeah. I think preachers at their best are storytellers. Yeah, definitely. We're going to talk today about how you implemented this um at Oakton. You alluded to it last week a little bit with this uh Faith Formation Hour Sunday School series, but tell us a little bit about what you did during those. Yeah, I'll start with just, as you did, kind of tracing how we got here. If I could say it in a thesis. <laughs> okay. Given that social media, political polarization, and pandemic isolation separated people from one another, both in terms of physical distance and empathetic distance. Definitely. And second, given that the church was made to be a community gathered together by Christ to partner with him in the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And third, storytelling has the power to mediate relationships. The intervention that I built was on the foundation that some kind of training in discourse and sharing stories could reconnect people to one another. 
mm-hmm. as was the original intention of the church. Yeah. So that's like how I summarize all of that in one <laughs> sentence. Yeah. As I was thinking about creating this intervention, I was worried about storytelling is by its nature a very vulnerable activity. And when it's personal, especially, yeah. The fact that we have felt isolated from one another means that if I were to sit people down in a room and say, tell me a meaningful story, (laughs) crickets, I am sure. Yeah. It would have been non-existent. (laughs) Not to mention, tell me a story about your faith and how... Daunting. Yeah, exactly. And so I knew that I couldn't just enter into this and provide a really open, hospitable space to sharing stories, and it would just naturally happen. It's yeah. going to have to be something that we eased into and was really going to have to be drawn out of people. Right. Over the course of four weeks, the types of stories that I talk about drawing them out, because mm-hmm. there was an intentionality about how stories were pulled out of people, <laughs> they were increasingly more intimate. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think... One of the things that I found is there was no requirement that you come to all of them. There was no requirement that everyone in the church participated. It was voluntary and people were kind of in and out. But some of the surveys that I conducted, both in terms of a written survey and some of just asking and interviewing people, those that participated in all four that got the benefit of kind of the incremental movement towards mm-hmm. deeper stories, there was a visible comfort level mm. by the end that was not necessarily visible in the ones that could only participate in one or two. And that would be a, a visible comfort, probably not only in telling a story, but receiving a story. That was a really interesting part of what you did. Yeah, I intentionally, the very first week, did not start with storytelling. Right. I talked about story receiving. That's because we often, you know, we we are individualistic, just by the nature of our humanity. We're going to lean more in towards telling our own story before we are going to necessarily receiving story. Right. In that first week, we talked about how we invite story, mm-hmm. whether that be posture. It tends to be that when we are showing that we're open to story, we lean into the person a little mm-hmm. bit. We may... Attention, certainly. Yeah, yeah, eye contact, removing distractions from yourself. Those are the kind of ways that our body shows that we're ready yeah. to receive something. Um, we also had... It was almost like a liturgical practice before we told stories every single week where the person that was listening to the story invited the story from the other person. They were supposed to say, tell me a story. And the person would tell their story. And then when the person was done, the person that was listening would say, or the person that was telling would say, and that's my story. And the person that was listening would say, thank you for sharing your story. Mm -hmm. And so there was kind of like bookends around the storytelling process that showed how the person that was listening was ready to receive that story from the other person. Because I started there was the hope that people would begin to understand how relational storytelling is. It isn't a speech (laughs) where I am imparting myself on you, but there's something happening in between the persons as they tell stories. And so each time a story was shared, it was told between partners. Mm -hmm. There was some opportunity to then reflect on that in the big group, 
but the primary, what, what I called the practicum piece each week was right. a particular story told between partners. The very first week, we kept it really surface. <laughs> I invited them to tell stories that were not very personal, but were unique. We, we talked about the generals of receiving stories, but then when we got to the practicum piece, it was, tell me a story about when it snowed. Tell me a story about how you realized you wanted to marry your partner. Tell me a story about a time where you got in trouble. Hmm. <laughs> it was a, a whole variety of different types of stories that were, you know, you could keep it at a really surface level, not go very deep, and just get used to the process of receiving each other's stories. Yeah. During the second week... I wanted to start getting people to go slightly deeper. And so I, I introduced a process called clustering, which... This was cool. Yeah. I, I wish we weren't on a podcast so they could see a picture of this. Yeah, cool. this came from a book called The Mystery of My Story. And it was a book about how to draw out spiritual stories, typically through journaling about them and writing about them. But there were various processes in this book that help to draw these stories out of you. So I utilized the one that the author Paula Sullivan called clustering, where you pick a theme, but I should say part of her purpose in this book was not to necessarily draw out specific stories, but to just get stories out of you. Yeah. <laughs> and so she said, just pick a, pick a random theme and write that in the middle of your paper. And so for the purpose of this example, I'll, I'll use what we talked about in the uh, actual session I wanted them to, to think about their own identity, who they were. And so I had them write their name mm -hmm. in the middle of the paper. So I would write Audrey in the mm -hmm. middle of the paper, draw a circle around it. And I gave them a couple of minutes then to just kind of free form write anything that came to their mind about their name. Mm -hmm. And so some people wrote about, you know. My name came from a parent. Yeah, I was so named so after named relative. But the, as they got thinking about it, they started to come up with like a, an instance when, you know, someone got their name wrong and how that made them feel mm -hmm. or getting yelled out because they were playing in the backyard or getting called my in whole for, name. Yeah. Right. <laughs> getting called in for dinner or, you know, we had some twins. And so they talked about how their name was unavoidably attached to their twin. And so after they've done that for a little while, I had them stop and then, those words that they had written around their name to pick one that felt particularly compelling, like a story might be coming from it. They circled that one, and then I gave them a couple more minutes to think about that particular word. Mm -hmm. So I'll give myself as an example. So after I wrote my name, I came up with several things, and one of the things that I noticed was my dad was the one that gave me my name. He just loved the name Audrey, and so he knew if he was going to have a girl, she needed to be named Audrey. Well, as I was thinking about that, that part of my naming that my dad named me, I got to thinking about my heritage from my Hollenberg side of the family and got thinking about the Hollenberg family farm in Florida. And from there, a story was prompted about when we went down to Florida with our kids back in January, and we got to set foot on the Hollenberg farm. And this just deep sense of pride I had and hmm. being able to share that space with my children 
sitting around the lake with with my family and with my dad as he's teaching Nita how to fish for the first time. It brought this just sense of pride. And even though that, that farm is no longer in the family, it's not owned by a family member anymore, the the road on which the farm sits is the Hollenberg Road, and that sign still sits there. So that was a story that was drawn out of me because of this clustering process that I probably wouldn't have connected to my name in particular until I went through this process. So it turns out that most of the people that told stories during this time, the story that they eventually told felt only marginally connected to their name. It communicated something important about that person's character and identity. So in the third week, we wanted to move a little bit more deeply into faith stories. And so we used the same clustering process, but I gave them some images and lists of names for God. And so they used the clustering process to get them to stories about how they have experienced God. Mm -hmm. So they saw a name like Prince of Peace, and they could cluster on that and think about moments of peace in their lives and how was God present in that moment of peace, right? And uh, maybe a name that gets at the just the strength of who God is mm -hmm. or... Yeah, and it helped, it helped them think about how God, how we experience God is relational. And so all of these words that we, these names that we give God are emblematic of a particular relationship or a time where we were in relationship with God. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're not sterile names. Right. They are, they come out of particular experiences mm -hmm. and that, you know, Again, this is the point that we were trying to make with storytelling is the very nature of storytelling is relational. And right. so we can tell stories about God because we are in relationship right. with God. And and that's not intuitive for a lot of church folk, right? No. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, you asked somebody to tell me a story, let alone tell me a story about God or tell me a story about your faith. The blank look on that person's face as they try to think about uh, what might I say? What might I say that um, I feel comfortable even telling you, right? right. Uh, let alone where where really is God in in my life and in my stories? This process helped people just think it through a little bit mm -hmm. uh, and get more intentional about the story they told. It was really interesting. There was a reflection at the end of this particular workshop from or the this week from the people that were there that had I just said at the beginning of the session, tell me a story about God, they would have likely just told me a story out of scripture, mm. which is fine. Uh, those are important stories. Uh, but when it comes to our own relationship with God, we needed to get a little bit more deeper into our stories and not uh, sometimes telling a, a scripture story can kind of keep God separate from our own personal connection with sure. God. That's not to say we can't engage God through scripture. Um, I think we do, but there's also, there's a, a present tense way of talking about our relationship with God. Right. Um, and so the, the fact that I had them think about the names of God and how they've experienced that name got them to tell a story about how they have been in relationship with God and not just how God Right. participated in the past. Well, and the other inclination was to tell a story that uh, of some grand event that's happened at church. Right. Right, a church story. 
which that's not a bad story to tell, but often we can tell that story and leave God out. Yeah. Right? And, and this way of doing it didn't permit that. Right? right. We could tell the story of that great fellowship event that we had where there was just so many people here and the food was really good. Right. Right. Yeah. And so that's actually what we transitioned to in the very last session mm. in week four is we, we looked at our own congregation and the stories that we can tell of our church and how, as you said, the tendency is to often say, you know, what, what is it about this church that I enjoy and keeps me coming? We might tell the story of this annual meal that we have as a church and how fun it is. And that's fine. But that's not necessarily going to communicate the depth of relationship and the reason why the church exists. If we go back to a couple weeks ago when we talked about the purpose of the church is to proclaim the kingdom of God. And so what I'm not really proclaiming the kingdom of God when I talk about a fun event. But I can tell that story in a kingdom of God way and talk about how, you know, this is a place where I am known Right. And this community is genuine and real and deep. Right. And I feel so comfortable with these people because they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's a right. different type of story that we're not often compelled to tell. Right. And so in the in the final week, we looked at telling the story of the church and how we might be particularly tuned to noticing God in those stories. We did a process called footnoting God. Right. So I, I had them at the beginning of the hour to write down a story about a time that things just felt really good at Oakton and to just keep to the details, the who, what, when, where, why, mm-hmm. or maybe not even why, who, what, when, where. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then later, after we talked about noticing God through scripture, noticing God and in, in some other types of exercises, I had them go back to that story and put in their carrots of when reflecting back, they specifically noticed that God was present in that right. moment and what that felt like. And so when they went to tell their stories and partners, they told the story that had God particularly placed in the story. And then we started talking about, because this was the last session, how then we can move our culture here at the church to incorporate this more intentionally. And so we talked about what it would look like if we had a board meeting where instead of a report, it was a story that was shared that was particularly attuned to where God was as they were reflecting back on an event or uh, in moments of, um, you know, sharing with one another joys and concerns, what it would look like if stories were shared. And so it it gave me a chance to see how people were already beginning to imagine that this could change the culture of the congregation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there were some really great reflections on how we tend to talk about faith and life in very, as I said, sterile kind of ways Mm -hmm. that are not necessarily personal and intimate and how it doesn't need to be that way. Right. And so as I, as I reflect back on this, this four weeks, as I said earlier, it was clear that those who had the benefit of the process were better prepared to engage this conversation by the end. Mm -hmm. But even those that were unable to participate in any 
or all of the weeks. I think just the, the fact that we were introducing this as something that maybe the church could need began to clue people in to at least a little bit that there is a problem that can be addressed. And so outside of this four weeks, we were more intentional in worship to include stories mm-hmm. um, in various different worship series that we were doing. I think even those that weren't directly involved in this intervention still could feel some of the benefit of the fact that we were looking at a system and we were poking at it mm-hmm. and it was responding. Yeah. Now, I will say my reflections are this is one, as I've said before, one way to address the problem. Right. It's also not the only intervention that could just magically fix a problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, The problem is so pervasive. And so as it is with any type of systems change, no one intervention can completely fix a problem. And so, you know, as you know, you and I have talked about continuing to address this need to reconnect people and Mm -hmm. to have more intimate relationships as a church and why it's so vitally important as much as I would love to say, all you have to do in your congregation is do a four-week study on storytelling, and at the end, everything's going to be magically fixed. That's not that's not how systems change works. That's not how a project that's so narrow like mm-hmm. this could have possibly done. But it was clear to me that the problem that I identified is, in fact, a problem. Yeah. And that storytelling is one way that we can begin to address that problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we're in the process now at Oakton of kind of playing and integrating as we will. We did the, uh, you remember we did the footnoting exercise as yeah. part of worship during Lent. That's right. Um, and asked people kind of to pause and take notice of where God is is showing up, mm-hmm. right, in, in relationship to some of the themes that we've talked about in our messages. And mm-hmm. we're getting people more comfortable with the concept of uh, story sharing or testimony, but testimony can often be such a narrow form yeah. of storytelling in, in our contemporary Christian culture. Testimony doesn't need to be the the, the moment the saving of, moment. of yeah. salvation. Yeah, yeah. Testimony can be any moment the glory of God is revealed, yeah, right? You're, or, you're testifying to god's presence and that doesn't need to be one particular type of story yeah yeah so opening up some of those possibilities and maybe our our little community can help to be some kind of a remedy to that toxic uh, social media environment the political polarizations and the and the pandemic that pulled us uh, away from each other so that's the hope and it is something i think that can be replicated in in other contexts if folks want to give that a shot if they're noticing some of those um, strains as well uh, Mm -hmm. on the on their body this might be something to to try and integrate into your culture yeah and it should look different than what i just described because the nature of an intervention is it is very particular to a context that's Mm -hmm. not to say like the overall themes each week wouldn't be able to be used in another context but Mm -hmm how you draw out stories and the types of stories that are shared should be particular to the context that it's being implemented in. Yeah. Well, thanks, Audrey, for taking these weeks to kind of outline some of your research. It's been nice for me to have the review and be reminded and 
Oakton folks who are listening in, I'm sure we'll begin to see some of the other uh, threads that have been woven through our ministry now for almost a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but this has been great. So yeah. thanks for thank you all for joining us for uh, this exploration. As always, we welcome further feedback and conversation. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can message us at Coffee with the Pastors Podcast at gmail.com. But until next time, this has been Coffee with the Pastors. Live for the glory of God and our neighbor's good. The primary purpose of this podcast is for conversation and faith exploration. It is intended for private, non-commercial use and does not necessarily reflect the opinion of any agency or organization. In addition to Rev. Dr. Audrey Hallenberg-Duffy's Doctor of Ministry Research, this podcast references the following resource. The Mystery of My Story, Autobiographical Writing for Personal and Spiritual Development by Paula Sullivan. Check this book out for more information.